0: welcome to the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast, the place where curiosity is welcomed and no topic is too taboo to tread. I'm your host, Jonathan Doe, and today I'm sitting here over Skype with the one and only Ginger Lynn. How are you doing today, Ginger?
1: I am absolutely wonderful, sweetheart. Thank you, Jonathan. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. I'm excited. I'm glad that you had the time to sit down and talk with me today. Appreciate it.
1: Not a problem. It's my pleasure.
0: Uh, so I'm sure everyone listening knows exactly who you are, but if, if there's a little bit of, if there's any stragglers out there, I was wondering if you could give us a brief introduction.
1: Well, uh, my real name is Ginger Lynn Allen. I'm best known, or I should say I was best known for my adult film career. Uh, I made adult films from December of 1983 until February of 1986. So I did it for two years and three months took a 13-year break, focused on my mainstream career, and then made a brief comeback in 1999 for a couple of years. Uh, the bulk of my work these days is in horror films. And uh, I'm an artist. I paint. Uh, I do my own podcast. I actually have a, a new one that we've just started up about three months ago. and. I'm a happy super girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, i I have a zest for life.
0: <laughs> well, you definitely show it. You're very bubbly. Like well, I met you last weekend at the Days of the Dead convention, and I was just shocked at how like you just really brighten up a room for sure.
1: Oh, that is so sweet. You know, I, I today is the only today that I get, so I try to make the best of it.
0: <laughs> That's good. So, I mean, talking about your your early work in, in your career. I was wondering how you got started in the adult entertainment industry.
1: Well, I never had any plans to get into the adult film industry. I moved to California to visit one of my family members that was ill. And uh, I found a job working for the same company that I did back, I'm from Rockford, Illinois. And so it was a Musicland store. And I, I was a troubleshooter, so I had nine stores and my job was to get them out of the red and the black and I thought living in California, I was going to be going to parties on the beach, hanging out at mansions. And in reality, I lived in a fifth wheel trailer in a trailer park. Oh, man. <laughs> so I really was a trailer park girl. And I, I just wanted a different lifestyle. So I answered an ad in the Orange County paper for figure modeling. And for three months, I posed four men's magazines, the first which was Penthouse. And then pretty much any and everyone, other than that, I think, except for maybe jugs, which I didn't fit into that category. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I my agent kept asking me once I was doing the modeling if I would be commercial. And at that point in time, I thought commercial meant uh, toothpaste. Yeah. No, I had no idea that it meant sex on film. And I told him for the longest time that uh, I just I wasn't that kind of girl. I didn't think that I, I fit into that mold. And I I guess, you know, I had the same stereotype image that a lot of people did back in the early 80s of the adult film industry being kind of seedy and, you know, not the cream of the crop of people. And I was in my agent's office one day and I met this beautiful woman with long red hair, smoking a cigarette in one of those long holders, wearing a long white gown. And I she was reading a script. At and I, I said, "You're you're not a porn star, are you?" <laughs> and she said, "Yes, I am." And I and I asked her if I could take her to lunch. And she broke every stereotype that I ever had. She was intelligent. She was articulate. She was kind. She was um, full of life and energy. She wasn't uh, she wasn't like a street person like I imagined they would be. And so I I kind of picked her brain and said, "Okay, um, you know, what do you charge per day? What are your rules?" Uh, What should my rules be? What should I do? And I went back into my agent's office and I said, okay, I'll do it. But I want script approval. I want cast approval. I want this much per day for filming and this much per scene for performing. And he was on the floor in hysterics. (laughs) Who do you think you are? No, one's going to pay you that. No one's going to do that for you. you. You just, you know, the girl you spoke with was a star. And you don't start out as a star. And I said, well, that's fine. If I can't get what I feel I deserve, I'm not going to do it. And about two weeks later, uh, a woman by the name of Lana Marsh came in, and she used to be the girl that did the gong on the gong show. Mm -hmm. Tell Blonde. And she and her husband were doing two films on the island of Kauai. They wanted all brand new stars, starlets that had never been on film before and they wanted me for uh, the female lead. And I went, yay, okay, yes, yeah, so I'm going to do this. And I get all excited, and I signed the contract, and I sent the paperwork. And and then I went home, and I thought, shit, fuck, what if I can't do this? What if I'm not capable of doing this on film? So I went back to my agent, and I said, you know what, I need to I need to do a practice run. <laughs> so he set me up with uh, uh, two scenes that, that I, I tried it out and found that, uh, I was more than happy to do what I was doing and enjoyed it very much. So that's the, the, the long, short version of how I got into business. <laughs>
0: um, and so when I was reading about your filmography, um, the first like major adult role that you were in was in a film called surrender in paradise with Jerry Butler. And I was wondering what? What did it feel like for the first time, like walking onto an adult set? Um, Were you nervous? And then what was it like to work with Jerry?
1: You know, I, my first thing that I did on, on screen was a sex scene and it was with Jerry and he was charming and he was sweet and he was a good actor and, and he was sexy and he was nice. And I just, I, I found him very attractive. So did our first scene together and I had no problems whatsoever. I'm like, yes, I'm a champ. I can do this. And then came time for dialogue. And there is a scene we actually shot two films simultaneously. We did uh, Surrender Paradise and a little bit of Hanky Panky. And in a little bit of Hanky Panky, there's a scene where I'm supposed to be jogging along this path. And Jerry Butler pulls up on a motorcycle and starts taunting me. And I'm just supposed to tell him basically to fuck off. Well, we've got the guy with the boom, you know, the long stick with the microphone on the end. And he's running behind me, and I'm doing my little jog, and Jerry's on the motorcycle. And every time I went to say my, my dialogue, I couldn't. I couldn't get any words out. I was literally t- t- speechless. I couldn't talk. And we actually had to shut down production for the day. And I went back to my condo, and Jerry came over and said, you know, why don't you come by my place a little bit later? and uh, I'll help you with some acting techniques. So I said, great. And I went over to Jerry's and he started asking me questions about my family, about my grandfather who I'd come out to visit and my sister and my brothers and my mom and dad and just all of these personal questions. And I'm thinking, how sweet, he's getting to know me. This is really nice. And the next thing I knew, Jerry threw me down the bed held me down by the arms, and I thought he was going to rape me. So I'm fighting, and I'm punching, and I'm kicking, and I'm screaming. And he stops, and he throws my script at me, and he says, now let's run dialogue. And I wanted to kill him. I wanted to cut his nuts (laughs) off at that very moment. And what he had done was got all my emotions going and got me out of my head and into my reality. And I never had trouble with dialogue again after that. I did eventually go on to study with Milton Casellas at the Beverly Hills Playhouse for six years. Um, but in the meantime, with Jerry, we developed a a relationship and he uh, he carved my name in a tree. He made me a necklace out of seashells. Uh, we went everywhere together. We were together all the time. And he asked me to marry him. And, you know, I was I turned 21 during filming and I, he bought me this, this, it was a little gold hand with a ruby in it. And that was my engagement uh, gift. <laughs> and I, I said, yes. And then I got back to Los Angeles, he had to f- come back, fly back before me. And he met me at the airport. Now, Jerry Butler was playing a character by the name of Arthur in Surrender in Paradise. And Arthur was uh, an ex con, he you know, just was this very sexy, sexy guy. Jerry Butler that I met at the airport was wearing a dirty white t-shirt with a, with a hole in it. He had a Brooklyn accent. He was as gruff and rough and and just east coast as they come. And I was completely thrown out because I had fallen in love with his character. And this was a completely different person. So I, I still had feelings for him, but he, it wasn't same person that I'd fallen in love with so I broke off the relationship we, we did several films together we remained friends uh until he wrote his book and then he called me an overrated little pipsqueak oh man <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's that's uh that was Jerry for you he was always telling jokes and being funny and um I don't know if he was bitter at the end or not but uh, I didn't I didn't read the book I just heard the quote and
0: that was enough for me. <laughs> I think a lot of people who watch adult entertainment um, are obviously being entertained by what's being shown on screen, but it's kind of like a unique culture that exists with all of the different actors and stuff. And I was wondering like, what's the the, the dating etiquette and things like that within the industry? I know everybody's different, but I mean, uh, you guys as a career have to sleep with other people. Does that make it complicated uh, in terms of forming relationships with people?
1: You know, I never found it possible to really have a relationship during filming. Uh, I, I unless I, I I did date several adult film stars. I dated Jerry Butler for about a month, uh, and I dated Eric Edwards for a while. Eric was wonderful. Um, and who else did I date? One other person? Oh, Mark Davis, years later. And in the early days, it was okay because I was in the industry, and they were adult performers. But I found it impossible to date a civilian while I was filming. Um, for me, I just wasn't comfortable. I felt like I was cheating. Um, and I'm, a, I'm a, kind of a one-guy kind of girl. I've been with the same man for 11 years now. And so my filming was this wonderful group of, of outlaws who what we did with no fortune no fame at the time we didn't expect it it wasn't around and so we kind of stayed within our own little group we we interacted we slept with each other for the most part and that kept it kind of okay you know because we were all filming and and you know we got it on film and off film and we we developed these great relationships um years later when i made my comeback and i was dating mark davis Uh, It was it was I didn't care for it at all. And I'll tell you why. What he used to say to me is, you know, we I'd want to have sex with him. And he would tell me, no, I can't. I'm working tomorrow. I have to save my fluids. And so (laughs) I wasn't getting any um, from my man. And I was like, okay, this is just not working for me. So I I stopped both filming and Mark Davis. I just gave up both of them.
0: Does that make it difficult? Like, if you wanted to sleep with someone off set, um, did that impact your ability to, like, oh, like, like you said, he's got to save his fluids. So, say that you met someone, say you wanted to have sex with someone off off screen. Where was was basically your shooting schedule impacting the ability of of when you could do stuff it, in your it, personal as life? As a
1: woman, it didn't affect me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm able to uh, get where I need to be. Uh, very easily and very often. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it it wasn't, you know, I didn't have to save my fluids or save my energy or save my anything. I was able to, uh, you know, have casual relationships and film without a problem.
0: Um, so pretty pretty quickly after you, like, f- first started within the industry, you, like, skyrocketed your career. And, and in 1984, you won... Uh, Starlet of the Year and Female Performer of the Year, and I was just wondering, like, what was that experience like for you from being just like a civilian to suddenly you're like at the top of your industry within within a year?
1: It was bizarre because my plan was I would do those two movies and that would be it, and then I was nominated for all of these awards. I also that same year won Video Vixen. Uh, there were three awards from XRCO and uh, another one from AVN. Uh, but I remember that first awards show, and, you know, I, I wasn't glamorous. I, I, I'm a nice girl from Rockford, Illinois. Um, I compare myself to other women in the industry. You know, like Christy Canyon is my best friend in the industry, and she is like a panther. She's just exotic and, and sleek and sexy and just very womanly. And I am more like the puppy that gets excited and pees on the floor. You know, I'm just <laughs> I'm, I'm just the girl next door. And so all of a sudden, I'm being nominated for these awards. And I remember not knowing what to wear to the show. And I had this yellow dress with black polka dots. I looked like a bumblebee. That, and I showed up, I had barely any makeup on. And Tracy Lords was also up for those same three awards. And she came in, in gown and you know I'm wearing my little dress from Sears and and I just I I didn't feel like I fit the part so although I was receiving the the accolades and I was getting the awards and I I became famous so quickly it didn't really hit me I, I I made sure to go back to Illinois three or four times a year to remember who I am and where I came from what my my background was and I never let it I never let it get go to my head. I know that I'm famous or infamous, whatever you want to call it, depending on who you are. Um, but I don't see myself that way, and it really hasn't impacted my life. Other than, you know, I, I do conventions and I meet a lot of fans, which I absolutely love and adore. I wouldn't be anywhere without my fans, and I, I love them. I love you. I love them all. Um, but I'm still going to always be ginger Ginger Lynn Allen, Ginger Allen from Illinois.:
0: um, so with your career booming and and you basically quickly becoming like one of the most recognized faces within the industry at the time, like at what point did your family become aware of the work that you were doing? Like did they know right out the gate, or did they find out later?
1: Um I told my father that I had posed for penthouse. I told him that I was modeling but that's all I told him. And uh, I received a phone call early one morning from my answering service saying it was a family emergency, I had to call home. It was like six in the morning. So I called home, my father answered, and he said, what the fuck have you been doing? And that was that was it for a while. Um, I was told not to come home for Christmas. My grandfather was gonna roll over in his grave. I wasn't allowed to talk to my sister, or my brothers. I was basically alienated from my family for about six months and I, I thought about it for a long time and I I took a night and I sat down and I wrote my father a letter and I told him that he had instilled in me honesty and bravery and uh, to be true to myself and never to do anything I didn't feel good about and to be kind to others, to treat family like friends and friends like family. And, and, and I went through all of these wonderful qualities that my father had given me and said, these are the qualities that you gave me. This is the woman that I am. I am the same woman I, at, I would be if I were the president of the United States, I was a porn star, or I worked at 7-Eleven. I'm proud of who I am, and I'm proud of the woman that you've helped go into. And if you're embarrassed or ashamed of me, then all that you've taught me is null and void. And uh, I sent the letter and my father called me crying. And we became best friends from that moment on, up until the day he died. My father became my bodyguard at at conventions. He traveled with me to locations. uh, Nothing adult, you know,
0: just Mm -hmm.
1: mainstream things. Uh, uh, He would be at the adult conventions. You know, but I, you know, you're wearing clothes and signing autographs, but he would be there as my bodyguard. So it was tough, really tough for about six months. And it's one of the reasons that I, I believe that women in the industry should need to be a minimum of 21 years of age, because I was barely 21. I literally turned 21 during my first film. And I thought about it for, you know, a good few months before I made that decision. And I knew that I was okay with it, and that's the most important thing that you can be. You should never ever get in this industry if you have any hangups, any insecurities. I mean, we all have insecurities, but you really need to be a strong woman. You need to be able to stand up for yourself, and you need to stand by the choices that you make. If you're ashamed or embarrassed, get the fuck out.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's really good advice because honestly, like, I had no idea who I was when I was eighteen or nineteen. And I think it's it's pretty wild that people can get into that industry and they can't even buy alcohol yet.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I know. I think the same thing. And there's a big difference between 18 and 21. 18 is right on high school. Yeah. You know, you, you don't know, you know, you know your class schedules and who your favorite teachers were and who you hated in school. And, you know, that's about it. I didn't know what I wanted to be or where I was going. And, you know, I, I spent three years growing up. Before I came across the industry, and then spent three months making my decision before I did it. So for me, um, I have no regrets. I am not ashamed of anything that I've done, except for Ron Jeremy. Um, and and I've I've been so lucky. You know, I've worked hard. I love what I do. I love what I've done. And I'm a lucky girl. I'm a really lucky girl.
0: You've had an amazing life I mean I, I was watching all these interviews with you and it's just like you just have all these stories and uh, and for other people who have been in the industry some of them haven't been as lucky to have those kinds of experiences so it's really cool that that you came out of it in such a in a good way
1: i I wouldn't change a, a thing about my past and you know and there was a time you know that the money became you know substantial and I was able to Traveled the world. I've I I don't have anything that's left on my bucket list. I've done everything in my life that I've wanted to do, from uh, traveling the world to skydiving to waterfall rappelling to uh, living, you know, a life of luxury to, to being on yachts to meeting and hanging out with movie stars. And you know, I've just had all of these amazing experiences. And so little has been negative that I, and even the negative helped make me into the woman that I am today. So I wouldn't change a thing.
0: That's awesome. Um, So when you first started in the industry, did you really like have a a good understanding of like your own sexuality? Or did you feel like you kind of like learned a little bit more about yourself throughout your career?
1: You know, I came into it, um, Pretty experienced. I had my first sexual experience at 13 with my 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 15 year old boyfriend at the time, and we dated throughout high school. So uh, I had you know I had experience with with being with a man and with a woman before. And the thing about being on film was I was able to explore things that I hadn't done in my personal life. You know, I I I'd, I'd, I'd done pretty much. All your basics that you think of, but um, I was able to go beyond that and to to experience people in different ways and find out different things that turn different people on and what turned me on, you know. And as I've grown, things have changed as as time has gone by. You know, I've wanted more and more, and 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 then I got to a point where, uh, 11 years ago, I met this wonderful man, and I thought, what what can I you to show how in love i am with this person and what i came up with was my virginity again you know i have i've not been unfaithful to my man in 11 years since we've been together and so going from being uh, a wild child and to exploring and trying pretty much anything and everything uh i found a man who knows me knows what i like knows who i am and loves me for who i am and i couldn't ask for a better relationship i'm again a lucky girl in that respect but it's kind of funny how i went from being so wild to being so monogamous <laughs>
0: <laughs> um you t- you talked a little bit about like dating people within the industry and then dating civilians is he from the industry or is he a civilian
1: my boyfriend is a good old-fashioned accountant. He's a civilian. He's the nicest guy you'll ever meet, but he's man enough to keep me in line because I can be a handful. <laughs> <laughs> I look like a nice normal girl, but I do get out of control sometimes. I, I You know, they when you met me at the convention, uh, my boyfriend was with me and, and we always call the person that's with you your handler.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: definitely need a handler. <laughs>
0: Well, that's, that's great that you met someone. I, I can imagine it being kind of, like, difficult to date people outside of the industry. And because, I mean, jealousy exists and the fact that someone can just, like, look you up and watch you having sex with someone else on screen. Like, I think it takes a, a certain type of person to be able to, like, it takes a real man to be able to date someone like that and, and not, not get fucked up by it.
1: Absolutely. It takes someone who is, first of all, trusts me. Second of all, is confident within himself and who he is as a man, um, and just secure with himself as a man. He, um, it, it is difficult. There's usually two types of men that want to date adult film stars. There's the fanboy, and the fan is just Gaga because you are Ginger Lynn because you are whoever you may be, and That's no fun. You know, I want you to know me. I don't want you to date a celebrity. I want you to know Ginger Allen. Um, And then the other kind of guys that are out there that want to date adult film stars are the ones that want to rescue you. Those knights in shining armor that want you to change your name, dye your hair a different color, and pretend you never did what you did. And they want to keep you in this little bubble. So for me to find someone who is normal uh, and who accepts and loves me for who I am, without any conditions or uh, regrets or you know he's, he's he's not embarrassed or ashamed of me he's proud of me and he knows the woman that I am and that's that's just best gift that I could ever get
0: that's awesome uh, talk, talking a little bit about your your name I mean a lot of people have aliases or stage names uh, when they when they get into the industry, but your your name is uh, Ginger Lynn Allen. And I was wondering, um, I don't know if it was because of the time period that you started in, or or something, but how come you didn't come up with like a, a name that's entirely different?
1: Because as I said earlier, I thought I was going to make two movies and I'm naturally a redhead. Uh So I dyed my hair blonde. I thought I would make those two movies. That would be it. And no one would ever know who I was. So it wouldn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) I was wrong. Well,
0: That's that's interesting. That's cool. Um, So kind of around the same period of like 1984, 1985, uh, was also when kind of the controversy broke out surrounding Tracy Lords. And for anyone listening who doesn't know about Tracy Lords, um, she was an adult actress who was exposed within the industry of working uh, while being underage. and you had actually done a couple scenes with her and you produced I think you produced a film with her and you got kind of caught up in in all the controversy and dilemma with that. and I was wondering if you could tell us about that experience.
1: You know, I met Tracy in a grocery store parking lot across the street from my agent's office. And she had her hair in those big curlers that we wore back in the eighties. She was wearing the little dolphin shorts. And I thought she was the most beautiful woman that I had ever seen. And then she spoke and she talked like a truck driver. You know, I have a potty mouth. She made me look like an angel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And in all honesty, I thought she was beautiful, but I never liked her. There was something wrong. It was just something about her that was unkind, that was cold, that was hard and untrustworthy. Um, I I made several films with her. She was never one of my favorites to work with, never one of my favorite people to be involved with, and I never trusted her. Uh, When you said she was exposed um my belief is that she planned the whole thing and exposed herself you know it's it's quite quite uh uh it, it it turned out really well for her that she could do all of these movies and then when she decided not to the day she turned 18 she made her own production and made millions off of it You know, if she was so uh, against the industry and they, as she said, they forced her to do this and that, you know what, it's all bullshit. You know, I was a party girl back in the day and she claims that people made her do drugs. I did drugs back then. She never partied with us, not once, ever. Um, She was sleazy. I I guess I really don't have anything nice to say about her. Um, She did a lot of people wrong. There are a lot of people that I know. One of my my friends, a photographer that ended up in in uh, a mental facility for a while, he lost everything that he ever had. He invested so much into this woman as did so many other people. Um, I produced a film with her and it came to a day where I got, I received a knock on my door and it was someone from the district attorney's office and they said, you know, we're looking for Ginger Lynn. And I said, you must mean Amber <laughs> I don't even have a parking ticket. I haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> and uh, what they wanted was they wanted me to speak against Tracy or uh, on behalf of Tracy against all of these adult film producers. And I refused. Uh, someone from the U.S. Attorney's Office became involved and said, if you don't testify, we are going to make your life very difficult. Uh, so, I went before the grand jury, and I was shown photographs of Tracy taken from behind a bush, behind a tree, behind from a rooftop. And so, people were aware that she was making movies long before she came out, you know, they were they were watching her. Uh, and as I said, I believe that she outed herself. But when uh, I refused, when I testified, I I didn't recognize anyone. They wanted me to point out people and tell them what their names were and say that they knew that she was underage, and and none of that was true. You know, I no one knew she was underage. No one would have hired her. There were too many wonderful people in the industry. She wasn't the end all be all that people would have risked their their careers and their lives over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it turned out that, uh, I was investigated for tax evasion. They spent five years investigating me. Uh, they, I paid my taxes. What they eventually charged me with was willfully subscribing to a false tax return It was over $1,087 and four cents. Okay. I was facing (laughs) six years in federal prison, six years, and you know, a lot of the people that I refused to testify against came to to support me on my behalf, and a lot of them were afraid that if they didn't say something against me, they would be gone after. You know, that was what this, they were told. So bottom line was I, I I received 750 hours of community service and mandatory drug testing for three years. Uh, I was about three months shy of being off probation and everything being over when I was allowed to fly to Cannes for the film festival. I had a film coming out called uh, Founding Gagged a Love Story with Chris Mulkey, Elizabeth uh, Saltarelli, Chris, uh, I said Chris Mulkey, but anyway, uh, so I'm in can for the film festival and this is right after charlie sheen and i had broken up for the first time and i was doing a press junket on the beach somebody down the way was doing a press junket and they had a bigger crowd and she'd be going you know who's got a bigger crowd than i do <laughs> and it turns out it was charlie and so we did the thing you know where you see the commercial where the two people are on the beach and they're running towards each other and the slow motion <laughs> that was kind of what charlie and i did we we you know we hooked back up in in Cannes and he asked me to fly to Vienna with him. He was filming uh, The Three Musketeers. So I did not have permission to fly to Vienna. I only had permission to go to Cannes, flew to Vienna. Uh, This was uh, early 90s. And this was uh, still the campaign dates. And so I violated my probation. And I ended up doing four months and 17 days in federal prison. Wow. Which was not, not, not my favorite experience. <laughs> I went from wearing come fuck me shoes to fuck you shoes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that must've been scary though.
1: It, it was, it was very scary. Uh, I used a lot of my acting talents and 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 things that I had learned in my classes uh, I stayed to myself I didn't talk to anybody I didn't get involved with anybody I kept my head down and and you know just stayed away from everybody and nothing horrible happened to me while I was in there with the exception of you know guards being out of line and saying things that were very disrespectful Uh, that's actually the reason that I only spent the amount of time that I did was uh, because the first night that I was in my my cell, two guards came in and were vulgar and inappropriate. And I'm I'm on the top bunk crying and screaming and I you know I'm going, wait a minute, I've done this movie. This is gonna end up poorly. This is not gonna be good. And they laughed and they left me alone. Well the next day you um, I don't know how prison is now, but back then you received two five-minute phone calls per day. So my first phone call was to my attorney and I told him what had happened. He said he would be calling the Wall Street Journal. Um, One of the things that happens when you make a phone call in prison is they are all recorded. So the people that were behind the scenes in prison, heard the phone call, and I miracu- miraculously, I can't say that word, suddenly I found myself before the judge again, and uh, I was out of uh, maximum, I was in MDCLA, maximum security. I was in with murderers and, and drug dealers, and weapons dealers. I, I, I wasn't in you know Club Fed. I was in with some really hardcore bad people and on the 17th day, uh, I went before the judge and he sentenced me to four months in a, they call it a halfway house. And what that was, it was a place that when you've done hard time and you're not ready to go back into society, you live there and live in little bungalows. I had a house that I shared with three other women. Uh, one of them was a murderer. Um, one of them was a, a uh, a credit card thief. I don't know exactly what she did, and the other was narcissist. So um, it was it was a really difficult time in my life. It was a sad time. It was a scary time, and it was a time for me to grow. You know, I I think that's when I grew up. You know, mm-hmm. when I was. 26, 27 years old, not when I was 21, when I first started making films, I think that my my experience in prison and dealing with uh, our judicial system, uh, I some of my naivete went away. You know, I, I didn't see everything, you know, with, with my rose-colored glasses anymore. Uh, but now I do most things, but it, 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 it did change me it did change me it hardened me a little bit and it made me a little bit wiser
0: you know I think it I mean as awful of an experience as that is I really think it really tells your character as a person and it seems like they were trying to make an example out of you because you weren't snitching on your friends with with Tracy trying to get everybody in trouble and exactly and you bit the bullet and you just were like well I'm not gonna fucking snitch on people and It's unfortunate that you had to go through all that, but you stuck through it, and that shows. I did. Yeah,
1: I did, and I'm proud of that. My grandfather and my father were both police officers, and one of the main things my grandfather taught me: you don't steal, you don't snitch, and you don't lie. Those were my main rules: don't snitch, don't steal, don't lie. Those were the 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 three (laughs) big ones in our house.
0: You stuck to it. I mean,
1: and I did. I, I stood my ground.
0: So, you talked a little bit, uh, or you, in, in your story, you just told you talked about your relationship with Charlie Sheen, and I was wondering how you guys met and, and the details about all of that.
1: I met Charlie on the set of Young Guns 2. Uh, I was hired to work on the film. I worked for three weeks on Young Guns 2. If you watch the movie, you'll see me for about three seconds. (laughs) And I still get those darn damn royalty checks every month. Um, But they cut out all of my everything, all my dialogue, all my scenes, everything, not just me, they cut out most of the female parts in the film, they had a four hour movie, and they wanted to get it down to two hour movies. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. But Charlie had, I'd heard through the grapevine that he had wanted to meet me. And I just wasn't a star fucker. It just wasn't my 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 deal. And so I'd always just said no. Mm-hmm. And so Charlie, when he heard that I was working on the set of young guns too, flew in <laughs> and made sure that we met. Uh, and we hit it off right away. He was at the time engaged to uh, Kelly Preston, who unfortunately has passed recently, uh, rest in peace. Uh, they were engaged and I met Charlie beginning of February of 1990 and he broke off his engagement on St. Patrick's Day in March with Kelly to be with me. So we were together off and on for five years, two straight. And then we'd break up and get back together. And then, yeah, it was one of those, it just, it was, we had a wonderful relationship. He was one of the nicest, most sincere, funny, intelligent, He's a genius. He's just—he's a brilliant man. And I, Charlie, was my first true love, and he was kind of like the male version of me at the time, and I was the female version of him. So we just hit it off, and we—we we were wild childs <laughs> all, <laughs> all day long, and we, you know, we we romped around Hollywood, and we did our had our fun, and we here and went there, and did this and did that, and it was just wonderful. Uh, for the first couple of years. And then his agents and managers and mother, uh, were concerned that I would ruin his reputation. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of pressure put on Charlie to break up with me so much so that Charlie came up with a plan to fake my own death
0: Whoa. and
1: fly me to Europe, have my face reconstructed, have me learn a new language, have an accent and be able to come back and be with him. And I almost went along with it. I, I, I was so in love. And so just in just in love with him that I, I actually gave it some serious thought, but I, I couldn't do that to my family. I couldn't do it to my grandmother, my father, my sister, my brothers. It just... And so it, it, from that moment on, you know, we started fighting and having difficulties and and Charlie went in a different direction than I did. I, uh, I settled down a little bit more. You know, I met someone, someone after Charlie, I had a baby with him and uh, Charlie and I haven't, haven't spoken to each other in about 25 years now. Which is really sad because we didn't end on bad terms um and i don't know what it is with hollywood people you know i've i've met a lot of hollywood people and had exper experiences with them and, and relationships with them and they're kind of funny the, the the really famous ones they're almost like when they're done with you they're done with you you don't maintain friendships when you're someone from the adult film industry mm-hmm. so i kind of uh, don't respect that part of Charlie you know that he that he let such a good relationship just go to the wayside because of what other people bought you know it was kind of a cowardly move on his part in my opinion I understand that everybody was concerned but if you look at his track record I don't think that I was the, the person that ruined his career <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah Um kind of like talking about that a little bit um that's one thing that i wanted to talk to you about was why do you think that because the whole point of this podcast is like to basically talk about fringe culture or things that exist within the mainstream that are like taboo and i think the adult adult entertainment is a perfect example of that like everybody consumes adult content people everyone yeah and yet it's still something that's uh taboo to talk about or anything like that and it, it and obviously that that kind of thing within society impacted your relationship with Charlie and it's it's just kind of silly to me that um that sex work has such a such a dirty context in so many people's minds yet everybody right. everybody has a favorite porn star everybody has their websites they go to I mean you can look at data from like websites like X Tube and stuff like that that say like even in the most conservative parts of the world. Everybody's still watching pornography. And so it's just silly to me that 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 you your relationship with Charlie should even impact his career because it should be normalized, you know?
1: Exactly. People are such hypocrites when it comes to to sex. And we have such a a sense of false puritanical values in, in our society. In America especially. You know, I mean, I go to Europe, and I can go to a restaurant and be topless if I want, and 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 it's okay. Mm-hmm. Somehow, Americans just are. A lot of people are just two-faced and and hypocrites, and it makes it, it, it's sad. You know, I still I I come across people rarely. I I, I, I you get a vibe when someone has an attitude toward your work and it's easy to pick up on. Mm -hmm. And I like to surround myself with positive people, with happy people, with people that are comfortable with who they are and who I am. So I do everything in my power to disassociate myself with people that are judgmental. Um, Obviously, there are always going to be those types of people in life, and I don't have time for them. I just, I I don't. You know, I've got a, a really good, close-knit group of friends that I love and adore and I meet new people on a regular basis and and I don't know if it's where I go or where I live or what I do but I'm pretty lucky about finding good people that are open-minded. I don't know if they're just drawn to me or I'm drawn to them but uh, I rarely have a situation where someone is judgmental and makes me uncomfortable
0: yeah i think it's really good to just kind of like distance yourself from people that i don't know that are so close-minded about that stuff i mean i was even thinking about the controversy around that song that came out called uh from cardi b wet ass pussy i got in an argument with somebody because they were saying that that song is disgusting and i said well what's wrong with it and they said uh well would you want to date a girl like that and i was like a girl with a wet ass pussy yeah yeah i would <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> yeah that, that's actually what i'm looking for <laughs> and it's just
0: the double standard that people have is just so it's just it's almost comical to me um i mean you you would know better than anybody you've got fans like you're i i've i told a couple people about this interview and everybody knew your name Everybody was like oh my god are you really gonna talk with with ginger and i was like yeah um and so you're you're basically a household name that uh but it's like a secret.
1: It's broken <laughs> Hush, hush. <laughs> I'm a hush, hush household name. <laughs> I'll take that. That's just fine with me. <laughs> um.
0: So you talked a little bit about um your transition because because you, you did uh retire for a moment of time with with the adult the adult entertainment and you um started doing mainstream films and I was wondering kind of what what was that transition like for you and is is being on an adult film set versus being on a mainstream set really that different? Like, I know people are fucking in the other one, but is the production process kind of similar, or is it different?
1: Um, You know, when I first decided to go mainstream, uh, I, I saw myself on film. I never watched my movies, but I watched one and went, I suck as an actress. And, and I've got six Best Actress Awards, and, and I'm going, I'm horrible. So I went to school, first of all, so that I would be Comfortable and good at what I was doing, and I remember one of my very first auditions. I was so excited. It was for Beverly Hills Cop Part Two, and I got the script um, a month ahead of time. I hired a private acting coach, and I was to play this this cocktail waitress that approaches John Ashton and uh, Eddie Murphy and offers some drinks and they say something about it. She thinks that one of them's the president. Anyway, she's a bimbo. She's just mm-hmm. a, a dumb bimbo uh, cocktail waitress. Well, I got to the set or got to the, the casting uh, room and I was wearing a white dress with a little V cut out in the middle. Yes, you know, so my, my tummy was exposed. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the reception, she said to me, are you wearing underwear? And I said, no. Um, does it matter? And she said, I'll be right back. And she leaves the room and she comes back and she says, All right, you're gonna have to go in like you are then. And I'm like, All right <laughs> <laughs> Not knowing exactly what that meant. So I went in and Tony Scott was in the room, Ridley Scott's brother, and I'm just you know, going, Oh my god, I'm in the room with Tony Scott. This is so exciting. And first thing he said to me is, Can we get a topist Polaroid? Or can we get a nude Polaroid? And I said I I don't think it's necessary for this role. And then I was asked to do a topless Polaroid. And again I said I'm not comfortable with that. Uh and I said why, you know, why don't I just read for the role? Uh you know, was, I'm, I'm trying not to cry at this point. I'm getting, you know, feeling like I'm just there as the porn star and they have no intentions of hiring me. And so I read for the role and I, like I said, I'd hired an acting coach and I nailed it. And Tony said to me, I want you to play it like you're the biggest slut in the world. And that's when I did start to cry and just said, you know what, I don't think I'm right for this role. And I left. I saved the drive on for the studio and sent it to my grandma to show her that I'd been on the studio a lot. Um, but it was, it was not easy. Um, my first break was in a film. What I did was I I didn't have a resume that was, you know, my resume said, you know, the Poonies. So what I did was I took my resume and I changed the names of movies. Like I did the Poonies, I said that I was in the Goonies. Um, Instead of uh, Beverly Hills Cox, I said I was in Beverly Hills Cop. (laughs) Instead of uh, Blame It on Ginger, I said I was in Blame It on Real. So I made up this entirely fake, resume, and I would send things out to film production companies in The Hollywood Reporter. And so I would send out my photo and my resume, and I got a phone call for an audition. Then I went in and I auditioned for the role for this film called Wild Man, and then I had a callback, and then I had a third, a a final callback, so the third audition, and I walked into the room, and there's a table, and there's all these people sitting around it, and you know, my my intimidation factor went way up. I'm like, oh, here we go again. And I looked up and the director was Freddie Lincoln. Freddie Lincoln was a, a, he was originally a horror actor. He was in Last House on the Left um, and he became a, an adult film director.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: Freddie was trying to get out of adult as well and going to mainstream. So he was doing a mainstream movie. I was getting out of adult going to mainstream. And so he hired me on Wild Man. From there, uh, Rick Sloan, hired me for Vice Academy series. Uh, Dave Dakota hired me for Dr. Alien with Judy Landers. And I just started getting these, these, I went from small roles in B-films to leads in B-films almost immediately onto, you know, shows like NYPD Blue and Silk Stockings and and ending up in, in Young Guns 2 and uh, now I've been in, I've been cast in three of Rob Zombie's movies, although I've only appeared in two of them. I had to turn one down. Um, but I've, I've done four mainstream films this year. This has been a really, really good year for me. I've gone from being in that place where you don't quite know where to cast me. I'm not, the, I've been, I haven't been an ingenue for years. Um, too old to play the mom, but too young to play the grandma, but I'm in this in-between phase, and I'm starting to get these really great roles, really great roles. I did a a film called uh, Dirty Blonde last year that went to some of the film festivals, and uh, I'm looking at the certificate of award up on my wall here that says Best Supporting Actress Ginger Lynn Allen for Dirty Blonde, and that was last year in mainstream movie. That's awesome. Um, it was, it was amazing. Uh, I've done two Showtime films this year. Uh, I've got a film called Slasherette Party coming out and another film called New York Ninja. So I've been actually working more this year than I have in any other year consistently. And I, I, I think that I'm at an age now that I'm castable as not so much the nice girl anymore. <laughs> 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 I'm getting meteor roles that are a lot more fun to play. In and, and, uh, the showtime, there's it's a series of three films called Lady Killer TV. And I play an 87-year-old, foul-mouthed, white trash, disgusting old woman that I don't want to tell you what she does. She's just horrible. And it was <laughs> so much fun to be the bad guy to be the, the just that that foul character the side of me that i would never have you know i would never behave that way it's it's i i find it more fun to be other people than it is to be me these days <laughs> <laughs> if that makes any sense
0: i think i saw some uh some some clips from the lady killer films is uh felissa rosen in those as well
1: Yes, Felicia is in those as well.
0: Yeah, yes. uh, there was a there was like a special effects booth, and they were advertising or like promoting their special effects, and they showed you uh, killing some people. I'm not gonna, I won't get into details, but I saw. Yeah, you.
1: don't go into details <laughs> about what 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 happens. But yes, uh, they weren't supposed to show that, but uh-huh. they did uh, until the director showed up one day, and then they pulled it down. <laughs> <laughs> because the special effects are amazing. The scene that that you saw is just hysterical. It's yeah. so wrong and so messed up and so funny and so disgusting. It's brilliant.
0: <laughs> well, I'm excited to see it. It looked it definitely looked awesome. Um so you talked a little bit about uh, or you mentioned you working with Rob Zombie and m- most of the people that listen to this podcast are like diehard horror fans. So they'd kill me if I didn't ask about it. But how did you uh, how did you get involved with Rob Zombie and what was it like to work with like Sid Haig and Bill Mosley and all these like big name horror people?
1: I met Rob. Uh, I was called in to audition for uh, The Devil's Rejects and uh I got the role. I was originally cast as uh, the girl that, that has to wear the fake face on her.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but two weeks before filming, I, I'm i a martial artist, and I was fighting, and I didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> and I tore my, I blew out my ACL, my MCL, and my meniscus. So my agent had to call Rob before I have even met him and tell him, well, Ginger can't run, so she can't play the role. So Rob wrote Fanny, and the scene with Sid Haig, specifically for me,
0: That's so cool. that I could
1: still be in the movie, which I took as just huge kudos. It was such a, a a gift to be cast that way, and for Rob to want me in the movie enough that he would write something special for me. And working with, with Rob was just such a pleasure. He's such a... Uh, a direct director you know what he wants he tells you what he needs he works with you and gives you room if he sees that you've got the ability to improvise as well so uh working with rob was has been two of my my, my best experiences ever working with any a horror director although i really really love paul ragsdale um and jeremy spencer and Rosie Mubora. I've been working with just such wonderful people lately. Um, Sid Haig and Bill Mosley uh, became and 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 uh, a lot of the Danny Trejo, uh, a lot of the different cast members. We, we started doing conventions together, so for about ten years, we signed autographs together, and we became this this little cult family. And we hung out, and it was wonderful. One of Sid was one of my favorite people that I've ever worked with or met. Just a heart of gold, big guy, intimidating, sweetest guy you'd ever meet.
0: Yeah, I, I I got the honor to meet him several times, and he he was just an amazing person to be around. He's hilarious, but yeah, he can be pretty intimidating too.
1: Yeah, he can be crotchety. He can be a curmudgeon, or could <laughs> have at times. But, you know, again, rest in peace. He was wonderful.
0: That's awesome. Um, And then you were also in, you said that you were in 31, but you were also in another film, but you ended up not getting... Uh,
1: I'm in 31, which I I, I will say that I'm disappointed with the final cut. Uh, There's about a half an hour worth of my, my character on the cutting room floor. I actually, in the original script, play Richard Brake, Doomhead's girlfriend. And all of our relationship, all of the things that happened before the sex scene happened were cut out of the movie. So I ended up being, I felt like a prop. And it wasn't wasn't the role that that I signed up for. But I'm still proud to have been in it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And the other film that he cast me in was The Lords of Salem. Um, and the scene in the Lords of Salem was between me and Mark Hamill and I play one of the descendants of the witches and I'm doing dishes one night for some reason naked and uh, Mark Hamill's watching TV and my character goes over and stabs Mark Hamill to death and then slices her own throat. Two weeks before filming, my sister committed suicide. Oh man. And I was not in any condition to play any character much less one who commits suicide. It would have just been wrong to do in my sister's honor or it would be a dishonor to her and my family had I done that role.
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: So I had to turn that one down.
0: Well, I mean, I completely understand those circumstances. I, and But it sounds like you guys have like a really good relationship. So I'm sure... I'm sure you guys will be working together in the future, you know?
1: I hope so. We had a blast on the last two productions. Yeah. Hopefully we'll do it again.
0: So, um, you're like kicking ass in, um, like in mainstream cinema, but in 1999 you would make a return into the adult industry. And I was wondering what inspired you to make that return. And then what was it like to return to that kind of work?
1: Um in all honesty, a big part of the reason that I made the comeback was that I wasn't getting good sex with civilians. <laughs> it was just kind of it just wasn't wasn't enough for me. So that was part of it. And the other part of it was uh a seven picture deal at fifty thousand dollars a movie.
0: Oh, that's uh, awesome.
1: So it was a pretty big incentive to make a comeback and no one had ever made that kind of money. And uh it was for VCA, which was a big company. They allowed me all of my rules, my cast approval. I got to write a couple of the scripts. Um, I cast my own films. I helped write my own films. And I got to play characters that I wanted to play and, and live out my own fantasies. So it was it was a blast. <laughs> you know, I don't regret that at all either.
0: That's awesome. Um...
1: And, and then was still able to make... So I've, I've been able to go from adult to mainstream... Back to adult, and now back to mainstream again, and and I guess I'm dabbling in in adult in a way these days. I've got um, a new podcast out. It's uh, you can find it on Patreon.com/slash Who Let the Girls Out is what it's called, and it's myself and Christy Canyon. We have we did radio together for Playway for about ten years, and mm-hmm. so we've got this chemistry, we've got this magic between us. And we go above and beyond the call of booty. In, in our show, we explore everything that you can think of sexually, we will talk about it, we will try it, we will explore it. Um, you know, there's no hardcore sex or anything. But uh, it's it, it, it's a it, it's a show that will make you laugh. It will turn you on. And it sometimes will gross you out a little bit, but it will definitely open your mind to new experiences. So once again, it's called "Who Let the Girls Out," and you can find it at patreon.com.
0: Awesome! I want to I want to check that out. That sounds really. You've cool. got <laughs> to check it out.
1: It's unbelievable. Every episode, I love. I absolutely <laughs> love it, and we have so much fun. We're like, we're like teenagers again, and and you know, let's try this now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That sounds like a blast.
1: It's so much fun. <laughs> and then I've also got um, my my art. I've been painting for about 20 years now. And uh, I think you might have seen one of my prints at my table. I don't know if you noticed it or not.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I...
1: Yeah, so I uh, I have a, an art site. It's called gingerlintart.com. And it's where you can go and see my, my paintings. And I've sold over 100 paintings over the last 20 years. So there are... People all over the world that have my art hanging in their house.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool.
1: And then my last thing that kind of goes back to adult again is I'm on onlyfans.com slash blame it on ginger and blame it on ginger is my handle on on Twitter. It's my handle on Instagram. It came from being at playboy radio. And when I started working there, we had a contract that was about three pages long and it said, you can't do this, this, or this. Well, so we didn't do those three things. But it didn't say we couldn't do these other four hundred things. And so there was we were called into HR all the time. And I don't like HR. I don't like human resources. I don't like to get in trouble. And so I had a habit of never showing up to the HR meetings. And so everybody would just go, Ginger did it. It was blame. So <laughs> so my handle became blamed on ginger. <laughs>
0: That's so cool. if you ever
1: get in trouble, just say it's my fault.
0: <laughs> I also I also saw on your website that you have like, it looked like interviews with uh different people within the industry, different actresses. Um, is that is that something that you're doing as well?
1: What I did was um, about ten years ago. Uh, I, I I kept running into adult film stars that were retired and they weren't making any money and they didn't know what to do with their lives and they had no money and one of the things that that adult performers do is buy a lot of lingerie because you can only wear it once maybe twice on film so we end up with bins big giant plastic bins full of lingerie so I came up with an idea to start an adult eBay it's called gingerlandauctions.com and I set it up so that the girls in the industry would have a place that they could go free of charge and post their lingerie. They can sell the items that they wear on film on my website. And so a lot of girls will they'll be able to survive and make money and I don't charge them anything. It's completely free. And then what I do for some girls because it's a lot of work to shoot your photos, post your item to ship your item, you know, there's there's work involved. And a lot of the girls are too busy. So what I began to do was, uh, photograph the girls myself in their lingerie and sell it so within that I interview all of the girls and they put their interviews up on gingerlynn.com
0: that's awesome yeah I was like I was looking and I was like whoa what what is all this stuff and uh (laughs) one of my favorite adult actresses is um Dylan Harper and so I saw on there you had like an interview with her it was like a so I was I was going to check that out but that was like right before we came on so, oh, um, I,
1: I've shot Jillian probably more than anyone else. I've probably shot her six or eight times. <laughs> I love Jillian Harper. She's just an amazing woman. Love her so much.
0: Yeah, that's... I mean, you. I think you guys are, like, similar in that kind of, like, really bubbly, like, light up a room kind of... kind of.
1: <laughs> she, she does have that energy.
0: Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, and so one of my final questions is, as someone who's been in the industry for as long as you have, how have you seen... Um, like, adult entertainment evolve, um, both in terms of, like, the the content that's filmed, like, have, have fetishes changed, have things that are in popularity changed, but also, like, the ins and outs of how things are being produced?
1: You know, the biggest difference that I, I know is back when I was filming in the early 80s, there were so few of us. There were you know, maybe 50 people in the industry. It was very small. We all knew each other very well, and we became a very tight-knit family. You know, we hung out before filming, after filming, during filming. We were our own little group of outlaws, and we were very, very close. And today, girls grow up wanting to be in the industry, and they get into it at, at young ages, and there's there's so many women in the adult industry and men as well. There's 1000s of them today. And it's a very transient industry. It's a very uh, cutthroat industry. There are stars that become friends with other stars. But it's, it's you know, a couple of people here, a couple of people there. They're, it's very clicky. And there's the internet today. So there's shaming. And there's girls that just didn't get into it with the right frame of mind to begin with, that never should have got into it, that are having difficulties. Um, It's just become so big and so impersonal. And so uh, rather than passionate, I see it as ABC one, two, three. It's very perfunctory. And everybody does, you know, these three positions or, you know, it's down to a science. Mm -hmm. What they'll do is they shoot stills hardcore stills of the scene before the scene so there's no room for deviation if, if you shot your stills and you did you know a b and c then when you film you only get to do a b and c so the creativity and the passion and the, the uh the deviations and the places that you would normally be able to go you're not allowed to go there anymore um the average viewer you know it used to be rent a movie and you'd watch the whole movie it was it was a a, a, a right with 150 page scripts and on page 12 it would say sexy mm-hmm. and there would just be sex included in the movie today there are very few feature films being made most people they have their five minute favorite clip they go to that. they get their business done and they move on uh so even for the viewer it's become a different uh you know it, it there's People don't invest as much time in anything as they used to. Everything is so immediate. Everybody wants immediate satisfaction. And so they've learned with porn to get their immediate satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways. Back in my day, what we did was we filmed and we made enough money to just film. Today, the girls have to do filming. They have to do... Uh, only fans they have to do personal appearances that you know a lot of girls uh uh hook on the side mm-hmm.
0: you know a
1: lot of the girls are are, are you know which, there's nothing wrong with it i'm not this is not a judgment i'm just saying that in order to make the money that they used to to survive as a porn star they're having to do a lot of different things
0: yeah i know i know a couple people uh in my personal life who do like only fans and stuff but they're also escorts on the side just yeah. because OnlyFans isn't enough, so.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Do you think that uh, tube sites like uh, X-Videos and stuff like that is hurting, hurting uh, the people involved in the industry, or do you think it's making it better?
1: I think it's hurting it because everything that is shot is 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 out there immediately and stolen, um, and. So the girls, you know, you make a movie and the next day, everybody's seen it, it's over, you're not going to make any more money on it, you're not going to get a big, you're not going to, some of the girls can still feature dance, but it's not like the the days when I was touring, you know, why would you 24 shows in a week, now the girls do six shows over a weekend. Um, I just think that with so much out there, there's not enough for everybody.
0: Um, and for for people who are interested in in getting involved in the industry, do you have any tips or recommendations for them? Don't. Don't do it.
1: <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't recommend anyone get into the adult industry today. No, it's 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 Joe Glow with his camera. Uh, they don't. The agents, uh, half of them demand you sleep with them. You know, they're not reputable. Uh, they'll send the girls on jobs and girls will get there and the producers will say, well, we're going to do this instead. And the girl doesn't have an agent to back her up to go, no, that's not what we agreed upon. And she doesn't want to do that. Or if she does do that, it's going to cost you more money. There's just, it's kind of like being alone out there. You know, I would, I had a great agent. I had a great support system and a great group of friends. And, and I see the adult business as being a very lonely one today i i wouldn't recommend it for anyone
0: well thank you for the for the insight um uh, I, have... I know that
1: that's not going to be a popular thing to say but that's just my personal opinion
0: yeah but i think that i mean you've been a pioneer in the industry and you've been in it a long time and i think that out of anybody you're one of the most credible people to to for people to hear that so thank you thank you <clears throat> Uh, Do you have any final things that you'd like to say to your fans or any final things you'd want to plug before we come to a close?
1: Um, To my fans, I love you. I absolutely love you and adore you and thank you. And I wouldn't be anywhere without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And the only thing I really want to plug is I really would love people to have the opportunity to check out my my new web my new podcast. And once again, that's patreon.com slash who let the girls out.
0: Awesome. Well, I enjoyed our conversation and I hope you have a good rest of the day, Ginger. Thank you.
1: You are wonderful, Jonathan. Thank <laughs> you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you.
0: Thanks. Bye.
1: I wish you all the best.
0: Thank you, you too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club. If you're interested in checking out my other work. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Cinema's Underbelly, where I analyze and review obscure, obscene, and controversial cinema, as well as check out my label, Putrid Productions. Until next time, this is the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club.